0: Well, I'm glad that you're here this morning. Hey, we're going to have a good message, and uh, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here right this very moment, as always. And I thank you that you're the one speaking to hearts today. That even if it's words I don't say out my mouth, there are words that people will hear. There's revelation that people will get, and that will draw them closer to your Reality and to you yourself. Father, bring revelation, unfold, I pray, revelation in our hearts, even if it's different for each person. Unfold revelation in our hearts today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we've been in a series called, now there is debate on how this is pronounced. Okay, so. I think if at being an English speaking person, I say metanoia, but I don't really think that's how you suppose it's something like metoinia. <laughs> we can't say it. Neither Jeff nor I can say it. Metoinia <laughs> or metoinio. Anyway, if you'll just let me say metanoia, I like saying it that way. Uh, it is a Greek word. And um, we're going to continue that series today. I really believe this is an apostolic message. and. What I mean by that is that I believe that it's to bring some fresh revelation, some fresh understanding, and clarification of this topic. Um, So anyway, we are going this morning to do a little bit of a brief review on what the word metanoia means. We are going to then look at what it means to be one with Christ and uh, one with the Trinity, and then from that foundational point of our oneness with the Trinity, we're going to see what metanoia mean to you and me in our daily lives. All right, so here we go. First of all, metanoia, in our Bibles, this Greek word is translated as the word repentance. Okay? And uh, however, we've got a problem with that. Here's what repentance from the dictionary means. Well, and from a site I was looking at, uh, talked about it, kind of summed it up this way. The word repentance means to feel remorse or regret for your sins. The Latin root literally means, for the word repentance, the Latin root literally means pain and suffering in view of being liable to punishment. That's what the word repentance means. However, that is not what the word metanoia means that is translated repentance in our Bibles, that's not what it means. So we have a skewed viewpoint when we read that word repentance in our Bible. So metanoia has no such meaning associated with it. Metanoia means, and I'm just summing this up today, you can go back and listen to the last couple of messages. Metanoia means to change one's mind, to put God in the center of your thinking. It has nothing to do with remorse, or regret, or suffering, or punishment. Uh, People came to interpret this word metanoia, mind change, uh, to be changing your mind about how you behave, Um, to regret your sinful lifestyle and then amend your life. That's what it became to mean over time. It was not the original meaning. This word repentance comes from the word penance. And the word penance means to pay a price for sin. It means to punish yourself for sin. I mean, they literally were flailing themselves on their backs. They were um, paying money to pay the price for sin, and I think that may still be done today. It was definitely done in olden days. This was penance. Say prayers, go to certain locations, all of this in order to show your regret and your remorse and pay a price for sin. That's what penance means, and repentance is repentance. That's what it's about, and yet that's not what the word metanoia meant. So The real meaning of metanoia was lost over time from the original apostolic understanding of it, and I believe I have it up here. That means, metanoia means, did we go forward? Yes, metanoia means, this was the original apostolic meaning of it, okay? Metanoia means changing your mind about the way of righteousness. To understand that righteousness does not come through the law, but through faith in Christ. Remember, this was being spoken to Uh, Jewish people who had been under the law and they thought the way to righteousness was the law, obeying the law. And so when metanoia came into being, it meant no, change your way of thinking, put God in the middle of your thinking and realize, we don't get righteous through, through the law, we get righteous through faith in Christ. That's what the original apostolic meaning for metanoia was. So we're gonna go back here for a second. We had a really beautiful encounter this week, Jeff and I did. Um, Some of you experienced the big hailstorm a few weeks ago. We had the big boom, 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 boom on our roof, and we sound like great big boulders falling in. And Jim Cameron is a roofer, and and he came over, and an adjuster came, an adjuster that I don't know if Jim had had met met them before, Now a man and a woman, husband and wife, live in Idaho. They travel to do adjustments, and they came to uh, look at our roof in our house and give an appraisal on it. And so, the, we, I'm gonna make a really long story, beautiful encounter uh, shorter. The woman, we, the woman uh, as the as gentleman went up on the roof, the woman and I were chatting, and uh, part of the chatting was how that when she was in her late 20s, she was diagnosed with a terminal disease and it been, was given one year to live. However, uh, she's now 61 years old, <laughs> and so the thing is, as the more we talked, I had brought up prayer, and the more we talked, she said, you know, uh, someone came to me back then and said, because, you know, obviously we were trying to figure out what we were going to do, what was happening, how to deal with this, and um, had a year to live, and someone came to her and said, would you come here, so-and-so over here speak? And I believe I recognized the name of who she was talking about. I I didn't realize it at the time. I've since realized who she meant. And she said, you know, if I had gone there and they had preached at me, she said, I would have turned and walked out. She said, but they didn't do, this woman didn't do that. This woman, and I don't remember exactly what she said she did, but it was something like this. She said, you know, God loves you, and I'm just going to pray for you, and you're going to be all better. It's all going to be okay. And that's what happened. The next morning, this woman got her medical reports back and they were all clear. And she's lived to be sick to 61 so far. So then the next thing she began to tell me, because you have to understand, I haven't said this yet, it was quite clear that even though all of this had happened, she doesn't quite have the belief in Jesus that we would believe like. That became clear. And the next thing she began to tell me about was that She studied, after this, she studied 14 religions. She said, I can tell you all about the Quran. I can tell you about Buddhism. I can tell you about the Bible and Christianity. I can tell you about 14 religions. And then she said this. She said, you know, I just wish Christians and Christianity would not come at it from a sin and punishment point of view. I wish they would come at it from a grace and forgiveness point of view. And that is exactly what Pastor Jeff had just preached in the day or two before. I did, we just went, well, well, that's the belief we've come to. <laughs> and and, we just, and Jeff just preached this on Sunday. But you know, here, it was, a, it was a beautiful encounter and it was very eye-opening. That someone who is thinking things through... And who was willing to study things out had come to this realization that our faith does not rest in the metanoia of repentance and punishment and behavior change. Our faith rests in righteousness and grace and the forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So what we're going to talk about today is now at this point we've kind of done a brief look at metanoia and a summary of what we've already heard, I want to look at our oneness with Christ. And we're going to continue to tie this in with metanoia. So I have a key verse or passage for us today. And it's Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 25. This is the New Living Translation. This is Paul speaking. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. Isn't that amazing that something could have been a secret and needed to be found out? That's still true today. But now it has been revealed to God's people for God wanted them to know the riches and the glory of Christ, or for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Everybody say it. Some, well, I'm sorry, what is The secret. Christ lives in you and this gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. I want to be see if that's the end of this verse or not um, or if there's more. I don't want to turn ahead on the screen for you and this is the secret that Christ in, lives in you. Everybody say Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. All right. For years, most of my Christian life, I've known the Lord since, on a personal level since 1975, a very long time, longer than some of you have been alive. For years, I have heard about this truth, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've heard this truth that anything we can find about being in Christ is now who I am. Brother Kenneth Hagin, I mean, this is just one of many books and many authors, but he was a real father of this message. This little book, I still have a bunch of them on my shelf, and they're, very, they're quite old, and it's called In Him. And what it's about is it talks to you about that any scripture you can find that talks about in him, being Jesus, with him, by him, all of those things are yours because you are in Christ. So anything that's by him and with him and in him belong to you. If, if there's wisdom in Christ, it belongs to you. If there's righteousness in Christ, it belongs to you. Anything that's in him. Um, Pastor Chad in May handed out this wonderful a sheet of of all these in him realities. Many scriptures, he sent them home with you so that you could stop and think and ponder on, and I could stop and think and ponder on, who we are in Christ and what benefits Christ has given us through his completeness on the inside of us. I've been hearing this for years. I think there's further truth. I've been pondering this and pondering this, and I don't even know that I've scratched the surface, actually, but I think there's further truth to even these aspects of what we're hearing. I think that primarily we don't really believe this. I think we have information, not revelation, not enough revelation, and I can't put everybody in the same basket, we're all different in this room, I know. I don't have enough revelation. I think there's a lot more to this. And I, maybe, I think maybe we'll spend a lifetime on this, okay? So this is not to condemn anybody. I'm just saying I, I have been feeling prompted to press into this truth. What does it mean to be in Christ and Christ in us? So I want to, I, I want to talk more about that right now because I really think this is foundational to a lot. Foundational to metanoia, foundational to our identity, find foundational to our victory in life, foundational to our lives. So to start with, and, I've, and you've heard me say this, or you maybe have heard Jeff say this, or you maybe have heard Will say this, or, or maybe Chad or Marissa say this. But I think so, so we need to understand that this concept that Christ, that God is, a, is separate from us is an illusion, Everybody say illusion. Illusion. It's an illusion that God is separate from us. It is not true. And somehow we've got to really grasp this. We do so many things that put him out there, including lifting our hands. Now I'm not against lifting my hands, okay? I see it in scripture. And do I believe God is out there? Yes, God's everywhere. God's throughout the entire universe. So, of course, he's in the heavens, plural. He's over in another building. He's in another country. He's in another state. Of course, God's out there. There's nothing but, but that's where I think we almost always put him, is out there. But he's, everybody do this. He's in here. What if when we worshiped, we went, praise you, God. I worship you, Lord. You are my Father. You are my God. Wow, you're right here with me. Wow, that changes everything. It changes everything. It changes everything. That he's not out there for you. He's in in you. He's in you. In Luke chapter 17... We'll read this. This is the Amplified. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and he replied, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed or with a visible display. Now, isn't that interesting for everybody who's waiting for Jesus to come back on a white horse and have a visible display? Just an interesting thought. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed or with a visible display. Nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is. For the kingdom of God is among you. I looked up that word, it means inside you. Everybody say, the kingdom of God is inside me. See, it's not in ages past. And it's not up in the heavens. It's, it's not an outer space, and it's not in some future date. The kingdom of God is right now inside of us because of his presence. Now, you've seen this illustration I'm about to give you before, if you've been at Genesis for a while. John chapter 14 and verse 20, Jesus says, When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in, my, in the Father, I am in my father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So, Mary, would you come up here and help me? All right. Oh, oh, yeah. Look, we look alike. There we go. All right. The Father. Everybody show everybody the Father? Okay, he says, he says, When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. Here is Jesus. Okay, this is just a little illustration, simple illustration. Would you put Jesus in the Father, please? In the Father. In the Father. Very good. Mary gets it. <laughs> and, okay, when I'm raised like in, he's speaking to his disciples. You will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, you. Okay, so put him, put you in Jesus. Yeah, all right. No, wait a minute. And I am in you. Would you put... Jesus, so he has see. So Jesus has to go in. You, get, you got the idea and can kind of try to. Show, yeah, and then they're all in the Father, apparently. Right? All right, just stay there. there. There's, okay, Don, you come up here. Just kind of trying to show you something about our unity with Christ. All right, now... Whoops, is that the same scripture? It is. All right. Now, Jesus, speaking to God the Father, says, I, Jesus, am in them. I'm going show everybody what you're doing here. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus is inside you. And you, God, are in me. So there's Father. Show everybody. Father is inside Jesus, who is inside you. This is a rather complex situation. Who's in who here? Or is it that we're so intermixed you can hardly tell the difference? Thank you, Ed. You can hardly tell the difference. Didn't, did, is this not a true replication of what we just read? All right, thank you both very much. So let's talk about how this unity, this being in each other relates to the Trinity for the moment. Because the Trinity, everybody understand what we believe the Trinity is? One God, three manifestations. There's different ways of putting it. Three manifestations, three personalities. I don't know that we know exactly how to describe it, but we know it's one God, I'm going to say three manifestations. And one of the main scriptures, there's several scriptures, a number of scriptures that you can see this in, but one of the main ones would be this. When he, Jesus, had been baptized, everybody say Jesus. Okay, there's number one, Jesus, one part of the Godhead, Trinity, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, number two part of the a second part of the Godhead right? Descending like a dove and alighting upon him Jesus. And suddenly a voice came from heaven this is my beloved son apparently the father a third part of the Godhead and he said in whom I am well pleased. So Just one scripture of proof that there's these three manifestations of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I probably, I am guessing that most of us have already recognized this truth in here. So, remember, now, if we think about the Trinity, we need to think about, just like we saw this with the Father and the Son That was the start of it. It didn't mention Holy Spirit, but Father, Son, and you. So so is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, right? Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. Here's a good scripture in John 16, starting in verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, okay, that would be the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and he will declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, by taking from what is mine and disclosing it to you. They're in perfect union. Holy Spirit and Jesus are in perfect unity. Jesus and the Father are in perfect unity. Father and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. Isn't that how you would see it? They're not going to contradict each other. Would you agree? I, 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 I mean I just can't even imagine. That, you know, Holy Spirit's going to tell you, Terry, one thing, and then Father's going to tell you something else. That wouldn't work, right? No, they're in perfect unity, perfect harmony. They have a joint purpose. They have a joint mind. They have a joint life. There is no separation. I want to get back to that word separation. There is no separation amongst them, amongst the three of them. They're in absolute oneness, and they, and we have been made in the image of that God. We have been made in the image of that God. And that is how life is. It's meant to be lived in this unified relationship. First of all, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. All right? Now, we need to fit into this picture somewhere. So let's go back to that verse in Colossians where he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean if Christ is in us? The whole trinity is in us. In Weymouth's translation of Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to give you a few verses here. It is in Christ that the fullness of God's natures dwells embodied. So we have Jesus, and all of God dwells in him. And in Jesus, you and I, we are made complete. So just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is complete, we are complete in Christ. Just as they're in unity, we're in unity the scripture tells us in Philippians 2.13, God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Is that true? Or are those just words? Is he at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure just sometimes done? Just on your good days? Oh, thank you, all the time. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that true? Have I been crucified with Christ? Is it Christ who lives in me and through me? Do I live by his faith? Do I live because of Christ? Yes, I do. Am I one with Christ? Yes, I am. What about Acts seventeen twenty eight? Paul said, but I live and move and have my being in him. Is that true? Do you? Do you, Cynthia, live and move and have your being in him? Or are those just words on a page? Do you believe it? Colossians 3, verse 3. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, for you died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We are one with the Father. I want to show you yet another illustration that this is my favorite one yet. All right. We have here HR. <laughs> Okay, so, let's say, okay, we're talking about the Trinity first. Let's say we have God the Father. He's very royal, so we are going to have purple. All right, and we are going to put this purple God in here. All right, everybody see that? All right, good. And then, we are going to have righteous Jesus, And we are putting him in here as an illustration, of course. He's not truly sand, I don't think. <laughs> All right, everybody see that? God the Father, God the Son. Our, our little illustration. Well, now we got the fire of the Holy Ghost, right, Orange? All right. Got some fire, got fire, Holy Ghost. So then we have Holy Spirit. So we have God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit all together as one. But I think the kind of unity that we're talking about and that they're so alike of one mind and one purpose that it's something more like this. And you can hardly tell them apart. They're inextricably mixed together as one. With one purpose. One mind. One love. One desire. So you know where we go next, don't you? What about us? Because we are in there with them. We are in Christ. Brown man, (laughs) made from the dust of the earth, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all mixed up together, and us. Do you think we're left out That, this is, thank you. This is how most Christians, this is my point. Most of us see us as separate. This is the point, thank you. Most of us see ourselves as separate, but we are not. We are one. We are in him. He is in us. We are inextricably mixed together with him, and you cannot tell the difference. Now ponder this for a few minutes. If you will take this illustration home with you, I've been pondering this, and it really has pretty big implications. Pretty big implications. We are so, that you cannot take yourself out of his grasp, and he's not going anywhere. You are inextricably mixed if, when we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We are one with him. We are of one mind, one purpose, one heart. I think this changes everything. It changes how you see yourself. It changes how you see God. God. Again, he's not separate from you. We're all intermixed. <laughs> I cannot separate myself. He's not out there. It's, it changes how you see the power you carry because apparently you look like God. What kind of power does he carry? It changes whether you can heal the sick, whether you can forgive sins. You read it in Scripture. <laughs> It changes how you feel about your relationship with God. And it certainly, for me, changes how I would pray. I am not going to be begging God for one thing. Why is there any need to beg from God anything when he's already given me his very self? There's no need to plead or to beg ever. It'll change your prayer life. It'll change how you see the world. Instead of looking up to heaven, you're going to look and say, so what do you have to say about that, God? I kind of saw this. Come here, Marissa. So it's kind of like I'm going to grab your arms. All right. And let's say, uh, well, I'm going to have, since I have to do all the talking, but um, you'll be God and I'm going to talk for you though. And I'll be me, the person. Okay, so this would be my prayer life, okay? Now, with that understanding. Hey, God, what do you want to do today? And you'd say something like, hey, why don't we go over there and heal Bob? Yeah. And I'd go, you know what? That's a great idea. I was just thinking that. Let's go. And so then we'd come over here to Bob, and I'd say, hey, hey, God, what do we say? And you'd probably say, rise and be healed. I say, you know, that's a great idea. I was just thinking that. Rise and be healed, Bob. <laughs> you see, woo, yeah. Amen. <laughs> you see that it's a we thing. There's so many times we're saying, God this and God that. I just and there's a place for that, don't get me wrong. But there's a time I almost think that there are times we need to say we. We're we're coming on over. We're gonna go pray for the sick. Because I'm inextricably. Mixed in with the Godhead. And so prayer becomes a whole new ball game. Where I go and I say, what are we doing today? What's going on? What do you want me to say? What, what should we pray today? What should we pray today? I mean, Jesus is the intercessor. What should we pray today? Holy Spirit prays through us. What should we pray today? How should we do it? I'm in it, and we then go out and do it together. Thank you. You fix it. Oh, it's with the sound. Is it missing with my earring? Thank you. Are y'all all hearing that click, click, click? Is that any better? I don't know. I want to. Uh, so, 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 when we talk about God being somewhere else, We are denying that he and I, them and me, that we are together. We've got, you know, we've even, I mean, I just wonder, have you ever kind of just had a mental, maybe you don't now, but did you ever have kind of a mental picture of God being a wise, old, white-haired man sitting on a throne somewhere? Yeah, right? No. No, this. This. God in us, God through us, God with us. Get rid of the image that he's out there somewhere else. I have a very dear friend uh, and mentor in my life who's uh, enjoying some good time with her again and a couple months ago she made a statement. I said, wait a minute, I wanna turn on my recorder. Would you repeat this? And Bonnie Duell, uh, I don't know if any of you have heard the Duells originally from Greeley. And Bonnie said it this way. Jesus loves to live his life on this earth through us. Through me, as me, who he made me to be. Then he empowers me by his Holy Spirit to live that out. He enjoys living through me, not using me. How many of us, I've said it a thousand times, oh God, use me. Oh, God used this person. No, God doesn't use people. We're not slaves, we're not marionettes. We're not puppets. He lives through us. It's a shift in the way we think about this. He lives through us, not using me because we're not slaves. He lives his life through me on this earth. So when I desire to go here or do this or that, I don't question it because that's Jesus living through me on this earth. Isn't that good? You know, when Jesus came to earth, He was the Word made flesh and dwelt amongst us. He was the incarnate Word, wasn't he? And then he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And then he came to live in the hearts of you and me, didn't he? And now we are incarnate Jesus. Do you understand that? Now we embody Jesus. This is what we're talking about. Jesus now loves to live his life on earth through you and me. You might even want to think about this. This is an interesting little thought to consider. If the first time Jesus came was when we knew he came as a baby in Bethlehem and lived 33 years, that's the first time Jesus came, couldn't you say that the second coming of Jesus was through you and me? Interesting thought. So we've took a little time here, and we've had a brief review of the meaning of the word metanoia, right? Second, we've look secondly, we have looked at what it means to be one with Christ, and how the Trinity is one, and that in His image, we also are one. Now I want to take this foundational truth of oneness, and I want to put, I want to apply metanoia uh, to this. And I need a little drink here. I think. That one of the primary reasons, maybe not the only reason, that we struggle with this concept of being one with God is because we see ourselves doing things that aren't very Godlike. And so when we see ourselves doing things that aren't Godlike, then suddenly God must be there and we must be here. He's perfect, we're sinners. That's kind of. Maybe those aren't the words you think, but somehow it brings us separation when we don't do things that are very godlike. And let's face it, every one of us do things, even though we've known the Lord for a long time, we all do things that aren't very godlike. And I think that that's what becomes confusing to us in this story of, in this reality, it's not a story, in this reality of oneness. So I have yet. One more illustration. (laughs) So, here we have, thanks to Jeff cutting them out for us, we have a woman. This is mankind, okay, but we had to have a a woman and a man because, of course, I believe in gender equality. All right. (laughs) And so, here we have mankind, all right? We're made out of the dust of the earth, so we are brown. And... Our spirit, which by the way has no gender, I noticed I made it no gender. That's no gender. If you can't tell, it has no gender. It's neither male nor female. Do you realize that the real you is neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, bond or slave, black or white, brown, orange, (laughs) none of those things? The real you is spirit and lives on the inside of you. And we cannot see that part. Oh wait, I did for, we do have to do something though. We have to, this is supposed to be the real you with the sand speckles. <laughs> you intermixed with God. Okay, this is, this is the real you. That's the real you. And it's that real you that has the oneness with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's the real you that lives in that perfection. It's the real you that lives in that clarity, that oneness of purpose, all right? This person was born in, this this brown person was born into a fallen world, was born into a world whose entire system is built on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We were never meant, ever, meant to live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet you and I face the tree of the knowledge of good and evil day in and day out, as do everyone around us, our parents, our children, and so we're constantly struggling with those realities. There's something else to be said about this person, Um, John Master Giovanni and I, if you wanna get the teaching on it, you're gonna have to go listen to his Genesis Factor teaching, which is about to come out on DVD and uh, it was from when he taught here a couple of years ago. It's taken him quite a while to edit those many, many hours. But he told me the other day on the phone it's about to come out. He was going to send us a copy. But anyway, he explains that we and I am not be going to begin to tell you what he says. I'm just going to give you the bottom line. If you want to know more, you got to go listen. He explains that when we were created, first of all, that God was had the pleasure to give he is the one who is a giver and then he created us with the desire to receive so that we would receive what God was giving but here's the problem if we receive what God has given only for ourselves that's what is called ego what we are meant to do is to be like God and receive and then give back out as opposed to receiving for ourselves so this brown man really is the ego we struggle with It's the ego that says I'm receiving only for myself. It's this brown man that is the one we're having the trouble with and the confusion about. Why we can't sometimes remember this is the real us? Because this guy has this desire to receive for itself. So what are we going to do to change that? Well, the bottom line is metanoia. I might still need this. I want to be sure I read what I have you here. I believe this is up on our screen. The real you, and remember this is the real you. This is the you that's going into eternity. This is the real you. It's already in eternity, really, in the spirit. There is no time or space in the spirit, all right? The real you has all of God that there is. You don't need to beg, plead, or ask for more of God. What we do need is an ongoing conversation with him who is in us, and by the way, that's called prayer, to better understand who we already are and better understand who he is in us. This ongoing conversation with him in us is one way of producing metanoia. We put him in the center of our thinking. And it's by that that we are transformed. And it's not, when we're transformed, you have to understand something. It's not that we're getting more of God. We're getting less of ourselves. Because this, we think this is who we really are, but this is who we really are. We don't need any more of God. We've got all the God we need. We need less of this. So when we put God into the center of our thinking, this part goes away more and more. Now, this is a lifetime expedition, (laughs) a lifetime journey. This isn't like, oh, let me go apply this tomorrow, and all of a sudden, the only thing I'm ever going to see is this. No, this is a lifetime experience of metanoia, of putting God, the real you, the real God, in the center of your thinking so that this becomes less and this becomes more. But it's... It's a shift in thinking, though, to think you need more of God. You don't need, am I making sense? You don't need more of God. You've got all the God you need. You need more revelation of who you already are. And the way you get more revelation of who you already are is not by focusing on this person, but by focusing on this person. And then this person, as this says, and John and Karen, Master Giovanni, I first introduced us to this thought. We begin to unbecome what we are not. This is, and we become more of this. We, unbe- we already are this. It's so hard to get this right. We, we don't see it, you can't see it as clearly, you can't see this piece of you as clearly as you can see this piece. We're so used to relating to this person, not this person. And that's what's got to change. We've got to take this person, Who is combined with Christ, put him in the center, her, him, it, in the center of our genderless person, in the spirit, in the center of our thinking, and this person goes further and further away. You can do it one, I mean, how many of you have experienced revelation where you just go, yeah, I've heard something, I know that's right, yeah, yeah, and it's forever changed you. In that area, this is now in the center of your thinking instead of this. That's the way it works. And the way you get there is by having these times of conversation, ongoing conversation, prayer with God. That's what transforms us. Let me, let me say it one more time. So what we want to do for metanoia in our everyday lives is we want to focus on the person on the inside of us, not the person on the outside. So we get in touch through prayer with the God in us. Now sometimes that means we need distractions to stop. Like you need, as as Jeff has said uh, regularly, to be contemplative. Or the word meditative applies. Sometimes we need to slow down, get rid of the other distractions so that we focus on the real God and the real you and the real conversation that go, is going on in the spirit world. As we do that, that very act alone is putting God in the center of your thinking, metanoia, and changes our thinking and causes us to unbecome who we are not so that we see more of this person who we already are revealed in our lives our earthly lives are transformed i want to show you one more scripture and i'm going to send these scriptures home with you if there's two things you would take from this week's message they are this it's this picture here if you could meditate on what it's like to be so inextricably mixed in with the trinity And think about what does that really mean to you? You are inextricably mixed with the God of the universe. Creator God. All present, all knowing God. All wise God. All wonderful God. All love. You are inextricably mixed and cannot be unmixed. If you would take this picture with you this week and secondly if you would take these scriptures and uh, go ahead and hand them out, would you ushers? Colossians chapter three, verses one and two out of the mirror translation basically says everything I just said today. <laughs> See yourselves as co-raised with Christ. Now ponder, everybody say ponder. That's that conversation with God. Ponder with persuasion the consequence of your co-inclusion in him. You're going to ponder this Your co-inclusion in him, you're going to ponder this and relocate yourselves mentally. Metanoia, put him in the center of your thinking. Metanoia, engage your thoughts with throne room realities where you are co-seated with Christ in the executive authority of God's right hand becoming affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly soul ruled world, this world. By keeping, becoming affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts will keep you from the brown man being the lord of your life. We don't change because we focus on sin. We change because we focus on who we are in Christ. We change because of the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. We're transformed by putting him into the center of our thinking, not by paying some sort of... Do you know that when you feel guilty, you're trying to pay the price... Think about it. If Christ has forgiven you, you can let go of guilt. Oh, no, I should feel guilty. Oh, no, you shouldn't. You should accept your forgiveness. Now, do you need to maybe go make a restitution to somebody, have some time with somebody and talk it out? Yes, maybe you do. Maybe you need to restore some relationship. Yes, you do. Maybe there's some things like that that you've got to figure out. Yes, you do. But carrying guilt is a form of self-punishment. It's a form of penance. It's not a form of godliness. God did not call you to guilt. He called you to freedom, love, forgiveness. I know it's too good to be true. It sounds almost sacrilegious. But the only reason it sounds sacrilegious is because we were raised to think we should pay penance. God is so good. He doesn't want that. Remember the prodigal. Do you not believe me? Remember the prodigal son. Jeff's ministered on this last week. Remember the prodigal son? He was rotten. Wasn't he? Took all of that inheritance of his father. Wasted it all. And rotten living. He came running back to the father. And started confessing his sins. And I will pay penance. I will work as a slave. The father wouldn't even listen to him. One version says shut up. Wouldn't even listen to him, much less let him pay a price. And immediately, he, as, as, as Jeff pointed out to us, he never quit being a son that whole time. He was always a son, even when he was acting like this. He was a guy, so we'll put this side in front. <laughs> okay? Being coming affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts is what will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly soul ruled realm. Your union with his death broke the association with that world. See yourselves located in a fortress where your life is hidden with God. Amen? Lord, help us to continue to get a revelation of this oneness with you. And release guilt, release works from our lives. Release the need for paying the price. That's the worldly system, but it's not yours. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful. May we become more effective at communicating this love Because it's not just for me, it's for everybody around me. And that's the love. I don't need to make anybody else pay a price. I need to love them. With this great love that you've given us all. In Jesus' name, amen.